Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Hey, this is Oteal. If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. Welcome back to another episode of Comes a Time. I'm Mike. I'm Oteal. And we have Dr. James Fadiman today, another mind blower of an episode. When you think it can't get better, it just does. It just keeps going north. This guy is one of the pioneers of psychedelic research. He was there at Ground Zero with Ram Dass when he was still Richard Alpert and Tim Leary at Harvard. And psychedelics were not illegal. And they were trying to study how it would help people. And then he had to go through 50 years of propaganda and being targeted by the government called a cult or classed with other cults. And like many of our favorite guests, if not all of them, uh, our chat ends with, we'll have to come back and do more. We barely scratched the surface. So I'm very excited about that. And folks, um, just to make sure that uh, you realize everything here at Comes a Time podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, anything that Oteil, myself, the guests uh, talk about uh, is not intended as medical advice. Always follow your medical professionals' advice and direction. We are not mental health professionals. You could take our word for it. So enjoy the episode and uh, enjoy all the phenomenal podcasts here on Osiris. Come follow us at Comes a Time on Patreon, patreon.com slash Comes a Time Pod. We'll catch you next time. Okay, well, I should let you know that I have um, just listened in the last day or two to that incredible time with uh, with Paul Stamets and, and uh, Bob Weir. So, oh, excellent. Uh, I'm feeling very humbled to, to kind of follow that. But let's see what we can do. Oh, my God. It's an absolute honor to have you here. I mean, it for sure. <laughs> We've been very excited to chat with you. So, um. You've you've known Paul for you and Paul go back quite a quite a ways. Yeah, I mean, obviously we run in the same track, and uh, we're friends. And uh, I keep I keep up on what he does publicly and a little bit of the other stuff. Excellent, that's awesome. Yeah, but um, what I what I what blows me away with Paul is he when you're with him, he's this cool hip guy and this 
you know, in this funny mushroom hat. But when you turn on Paul the scientist, there's this incredibly uh, erudite, smart ass scientist with patents and, um, you know, all those words that none of us know that you, when you hear them, you pretend <laughs> you know that he, he clearly, you know, uses. I mean, I'm stunned by how many areas um, he's literally making world shaking difference. Yeah. It's unbelievable to, I mean, when we had him here and it's why I'm so, we're, we're both so excited to, to, yeah. you know, have you here is that, you know, it seems to be that mushrooms are finally getting the uh, <laughs> attention it deserves, which could be a blessing. We call it, you know, a double-edged butter knife, because as you said well, in speeches, if pharmaceutical companies get a hold of it, you know, then we're in big well, trouble. Uh, you know, that's something we'll clearly talk about, but um let us say that the last thing in the world us little underground gnomes ever considered was that there would be a, a kind of greed food fest over who could make the most money out of not yet actually doing anything uh, with mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny. It's so it's interesting too because you see so many companies popping up here and there that are uh, you could get your kit. You could get your, you know, boutique uh, blend uh, microdose mixed with all of the non, you know, psychedelic I, mushrooms. Well, that's actually turning out to be of some some use. And you, you had Paul talking a little bit about his stack. And there now are other stacks um, with different components. And again, you know, it, it kind of makes sense that you're working with a whole body. And mushrooms may turn on the whole body, but if there's areas you're particularly wanting to, you know, push like your like your mind or your gut, you know, those are different different supplements. Is there a different stack that you came up with? But no, no, I'm I'm not a stack maker. <laughs> Paul has a stack um, where he has very good reasons for it. Uh, I there's also a company called. Um, Flow State Micro that has a slightly different stack. And I just got a, a, a note from a friend who is a uh, working with people with uh, Crohn's disease and, and all that area. And, and he's working with it with still a different stack. So um, undoubtedly, we're going to find that um, it may be that stacks are just mushroom merch. And you get, you know, two stacks and a T-shirt. But it also may be that, that and it makes sense that, you know, if, if nature doesn't do it one chemical at a time. Mm -hmm. And I always figure that nature must know something that we don't because it's had a few billion years to think it through. So um, I'm very, very agreed with Paul on that, that, a, that single chemicals make good pharmaceutical bottom line reports, but they're not likely to be the best medicine. And that's true of stacks as well, that even if you're starting with natural psilocybin, adding other mushrooms um, seems to be a sensible way to go. Yeah, absolutely. That, that does make complete sense. Now, did you, we know, uh, you know, Paul, Paul hung out in a tree and got struck by lightning and the whole yeah. nine how, do you have as dramatic a story of your well, introduction no, into nobody mushrooms? Nobody does. 
I mean, uh, you're safer. Tree, you know, I hang out in a tree and then I come down. But yeah, my, <laughs> my origin story, you know, if I ever join the Justice League, this is my origin story, um, which is um, I'm I, I became very friendly with Richard Alpert, professor at Harvard when I was an undergraduate. Uh, we worked together on research projects for a summer. We became friends. I left Harvard. I was living in Paris. I was writing not not the worst novel ever written, but, you know, um, up there <laughs> and other other appropriate adventures for my age. And Richard Alpert came to Paris on his way to Copenhagen. And he said, hey, Jim, the greatest thing in the world has happened to me. And I want to share it with you. That's not a bad offer. You know, it's hard to say no, whatever it is particularly since he's your professor, he's your friend, he's your mentor. And also, he's in much better shape than I'd ever seen him. Oh. So whatever had happened was was visible, kind of vibrationally visible. And I said, sure, you know, what do I know? So into out of his breast pocket comes this little, little jar of pills. Now, I'm so straight, I don't drink coffee, okay? <laughs> okay. And, the, and I never heard of drugs. And... I say, what's that? And he says, whatever, psilocybin. And I say, okay. So we're sitting there, outdoor cafe, Paris, all that beautiful glitter and nice people. And, and, and I'm aware, as the colors get brighter, that one of the things I'm aware of is the conversations of the people, you know, passing in back of me, the way you hear conversations. And then it, it occurs to me, my French isn't that good. I've been living in Paris almost a year. I've never been able to hear those conversations. So I'm aware that something is going on. And so I say, this is too much for me, Dick. He says, too much for me, too. And I say, but you haven't taken anything. He said, it's my first <laughs> night in Paris. <laughs> so we retreated to my sixth floor walk up. And um, I began to understand that there was a little more going on in the world than I had thought before. Now, that wasn't my incredible breakthrough, life-changing, blah, blah, blah. That was months later when I returned to the United States. Uh, my draft board said, would you like to go to Vietnam or would you like to go to graduate school? And I thought those are two terrible choices, but one is clearly worse. And so I, I won't say I picked the worst one, but I went to graduate school. Yeah. Okay. And there I was with my psilocybin sessions and I knew more than everybody. I didn't know much about anything yet. And I ended up working with a group in Menlo Park and they said, would you like to take it with us? And I said, sure, you know, it's a friendly drug. Um, but it was, but they were using LSD and they were using a full dose. Uh, Ram Dass and, or Dick Alpert at that point was really using what we would now call a moderate psilocybin dose. And a full dose just, not only it didn't blow my mind, but it made Jim Fadiman a fairly insignificant figure, even in his own life. <laughs> and that changed my life. That wow. changed my worldview, changed my metaphysics, changed certainly my relationship to my poor graduate school. that had no idea what was going on. Um, and so since then, you know, go quickly go through 40, 50 years of uh, whatever I did, um, psychedelics was one of those life-changing incidents, and that was that was when it happened. 
You know, when you put it like that, it's kind of really easy to see why they made it illegal. I mean, just as far as, you know, you're like, oh, my grad school didn't know what to do with me. So obviously that's going to be bad for the military. That's going to be bad for, you know, just trying to get people to go along and fit into the mold. Well, it, it was very clear that that particularly after psychedelics, that going into the military was a bad thing for them and for me. Because hmm. the idea of killing people that I'd never met, let alone that I didn't know anything about, um, I wasn't going to do very well at. So I saved the VA, you know, 40 years of treatments by not going into the military. So uh, if that's not patriotism, I don't know what is. <laughs> Helping the taxpayers out. Yes. Thank you for your service. <laughs> you know, in, in listening to uh, you and, and you know, study, like kind of uh, doing homework on you uh, joining us, we've had the privilege to talk to some very, very interesting people. And it seems to me that the folks who really uh, made the most impact were the ones who were able to kind of laugh at themselves and not take themselves so seriously. And you are unbelievably funny and humble. And it seems like you're coming from just a place of pure transparency and honesty. And I really appreciate that in the way that you make a a topic that is sometimes overwhelming, very approachable and and enjoyable. Well, it's it's one of the things I've seen in in the psychedelic world and people who are pretty fanatic about that it's it's the way and the truth and the light and so forth they laugh at themselves and it's a kind of interesting thing when you're looking at spiritual teachers do they have a sense of humor or is it all profundity and truth and whatever else i'm selling um and i've met spiritual teachers who are pretty boring but they're they're terrific beings but but one of the things, if you ever watch the Dalai Lama for more than about four or five minutes, he's going to laugh. Yeah. yeah. He's going to laugh at himself. He's going to laugh at what he just said. He's going to laugh at the, the, the situation, which for most of us is so tragic and he sees through it. Um, sense of humor, I think, is a guiding. It, it suggests that you're not caught in your ego. Yes. That your ego is caught in itself. That's its problem but that you don't have to you don't have to go that route that's right that's like steve martin said stand-up comedy was the ego's last stand i always (laughs) thought that was so incredible (laughs) (laughs) um you know we've uh obviously talked microdosing quite a bit on the podcast and and off the podcast and uh one of the um one of the the notions that you hit on during uh one of your talks was that if mushrooms are, you know, uh, antidepressants are heavily addictive and it takes a long time to taper off and wean off. If mushrooms are an unpleasant experience, all you have to do is just stop. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really important point that pharmaceuticals, I'm not sure what the word is because they never use the term addictive of their product, obviously. But if you, if you ever look at the, the, that little piece of paper that you unfold at the pharmacy that's an eight-point type, and it says usually in, in bold, don't miss a dose. And then you read why, and it says if you miss a dose, you're going to have all the symptoms you're taking this for only magnified. You think, whoa, that's serious stuff. And then it turns out they're right. 
So you're not addicted in that you don't need more and more, but you're trapped in that if you stop, it's very hard to stop. And there's a, they do use a term, uh, which I like, it has a charm to it called tapering, which is if you're, you take that little pill or that capsule and you open it up and it's got little micro dots in it and you take like three or four of them out and you do that every week, you take three or four more out and, and it may take four to six months for people to taper off to getting off. Uh, mm -hmm. Microdosing helps that go faster, but not much faster, but a lot easier. So a lot of people have written us that microdosing is what you use to get off of pharmaceuticals that either never worked or worked in a way that you, that you feel bad about. So antidepressants, yeah. when they work, it's not clear that they work, but when they work, what you are is your, the, 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 the difficult stuff in your life is not as painful. That's what's effective. Now, the negative word for that is called numb, which is, yeah, life is bad, but I don't care. Life, but the problem is life is good, I don't care either. And when you use microdosing for depression, and got a couple of hundred reports that say this is so, almost immediately you are, um, you're less sad, just the way antidepressants work, but you're also more glad. And that's a totally different set of experiences. So the most common statement people have when microdosing for depression is, I'm back. Meaning I'm, I'm feeling like either me or like I thought I should be all these years. And I have some, some beautiful comments from a, someone I know personally, uh, 31 years on antidepressants, six months to taper. And he says, I have all my feelings back, but I haven't had my feelings for so long. You know, I kind of don't know quite how to behave. And uh, people are a little nervous around me as I'm so, you know, full of my full, you know, I'm playing with a full deck for the first time. That's, that's exciting. It, it absolutely is. <laughs> it's something that, uh, you know, I personally have uh, experienced. I talked about it a little bit when Paul was on. But, uh, you know, I know that you kind of laugh about that, the method, the method that's named after you, but the uh, <laughs> one day on, two day off yeah. uh, approach, which I did for an entire month. And I came off of uh, uh, an anti-anxiety medication to do it. And coming off of it was extremely painful. There were zaps and there were, you know, feelings of like muscle spasm and headaches and yeah. sleepless nights and, and all of that. But I... I've explained it as like, I just feel muted when I'm on. That's it. That's actually a better term than numb. It's muted. It's, it's, you know, what do we call it on a trumpet? A mute, right? A mute. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and, and that's pretty much how I feel you know, most days. And uh, this was the December before this December of 2019. And, uh, the only days I didn't do the exact one day on, two day off was if I had a long drive right. on that off, you know, that day. So I would maybe do sometimes it was one day on, one day off or one day on, three days off. Um, and I would take it in the morning before breakfast and, you know, um, it was kind of perfect. I would just say I got out of my own way. 
Um, yep. <laughs> when my, I have something that's constantly going, you're not doing enough. You're not, yep. you know, that guy went, that, that guy was on vacation that week, that month. Can we put you on our poster? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, I'll, I want to volunteer for more, uh, you know, more, more studies to be honest. <laughs> well, so that's, that's the fun part for me is I haven't given microdoses to anybody, but I have like a couple of thousand reports of people who wrote in and said, I'm going to microdose. Can you suggest the, the, a safe, effective way? And so if you, if you go to our site, microdosingpsychedelics.com, that's basically what it says. It says, here's the dose range. Here's some general questions. Here are a few possible reasons why you wouldn't want to do it. And by letting us know how it works for you, just as you've done, we can then tell other people who ask the same question. So we get a lot of very curious um, conditions that people ask about. And sometimes we can just go in our database and say, oh yeah, we got, we got five people with the thing you're talking about. And uh, you know, four of them said it really was great and the others said it made no difference at all or whatever. Uh, but that's how we've uh, expanded really our knowledge base um, past what Past what the research people simply could ever do. Hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, it seems like the folks that you see talking about it or the people who, um, you know, it, it's a, it's an interesting to see the level of, you know, variety. I, I had days where I, I had to remind myself, like, did I even take it today? Cause that's I it. felt that's no. it. Right. Yeah. See, that's but my, then I had... that's, my, that's my favorite definition. People say, what is a microdose? And I say, well, a microdose is you um, have a good breakfast. You are effective at work. You make a few cold calls that you've been holding off. You're nice to the people in the office, even that one person that doesn't deserve it. Maybe after work, you go to the gym and you do one more set of reps and you forgot you took a microdose. Right. That's perfect. Yeah. That, that's been the interesting thing too, because it's like every now and then I would take one where it's like, oh, yep, I definitely took one today. I got to go back home <laughs> because it definitely wasn't perfect. You know, I mean, one of the sad things about psychiatric medications is they're not very good, but they're better than nothing. And we didn't have anything pretty much until psychedelics came back into, into awareness. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's scary when you have a medication that will make you not feel terrible, but it, you know it won't make you feel good. But there's no, and you go to your, you know, physician who's like a really good person. And he says, honestly, this is the best thing we have. And you think, honestly, this sucks. <laughs> and then, then you start, you know, finding out that there's, uh, there's a whole other world out there. And um, it's hard for me to be around people who are caught in, in, in medications that aren't very good. It's just a very, very hard feeling. When yes. I didn't know there was a way out, I just, you know, felt kind of a normal level of compassion. But when you, when you say, you know, there's that little door over there in the corner that you could walk through. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to gauge too, because uh, I know, we had someone contact us saying, hey, um, you know, please let people know that there are some out there that are, you know, might commit suicide if they get off their medications. And 
Yeah. You know, you oh, can't sure. just tell no, everybody, I mean, no, get off this. That's, that's the right, scary of course. thing, that if you get off your medication, I didn't want to say that on air, but if you read that little block yeah. print that says if you get off, um, the term they like, you know, when you write that stuff is called suicidal ideation, which means thinking about suicide. Yeah. And it's not clear how often it occurs, but the the feeling is if this medication isn't helping me and there's nothing better, then I have no hope. And when you have no hope, that's when you think, you know, what do you do when you have no hope? You want to end it. And the nice thing is we know from psychedelics is um, you'll at least find out there's some alternative ways of being in the world. You may not, you may not go for them, but at least there, the, the windows suddenly uh, are not black. You can see out. I'm just amazed that, you know, when I look at the drug war and how just the decades huh. and decades of lying, uh, I'm amazed by people like you and Paul Stamets that you've stuck to it through all of that. Like, how did you do that? I mean, you know, it's like, it's a lot to have the weight of the the legal system against you, you know? Well, one of the nice things is, I mean, I'm, I've had it easy. I haven't been jailed. You know, I have, I, I did, I did actually lose a career. Um, I was going to do a dissertation about psychedelic therapy. And the the head of the side, who so the um, looked across the desk at me because I asked him to be on my committee, and he said, "Mr. Fadiman, you know if you do this dissertation, you will never have a conventional academic career." And I thought, okay, <laughs> and I said to him. Um, Jack, probably Professor Hilgard, you took one risk with your career. And in this case, he had developed the first hypnosis lab, which was equally unpopular. I said, I should be able to take one risk with mine. And he said, okay, I'll be on your committee. And he was absolutely right. I was absolutely cut (laughs) off from a conventional career. And thank God. <laughs> and probably in the music to you at some point, the bass line, you're never going to be able to be in a symphony orchestra, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad that I was uh, kind of liberated from the, <laughs> the normal career path, <laughs> for sure. But it's scary yeah, when you're exactly. living without a safety net at all, you know? I mean... Of course, that's what I chose yeah. too. But yeah, well, you know, it wasn't. Point, they weren't uh, going to put me in jail. At one point, well, <laughs> let's say an awful lot of musicians have ended up in jail for whatever. Well, they that's did. true too. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was probably for the LSD and not the playing music part. <laughs> right, yeah, right, half a it's joint. True. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm seriously, I'm in awe of you. That's a, it's a, it's a quite a dance, you know, with the law and also while you're trying to help people, it's not like you're trying to do something bad. You're literally trying to help, you know. Well, at one point there was there were groups who would um, try and rescue you from being caught in a cult, 
They would mm. decondition you from your cultness. And I, I looked at the list one day and our little Menlo Park research group was on the list. Wow. So we were among the people that, that our, our clients, you know, if, if they were captured by these people, they could be deprogrammed from their psychedelic insights. Now, I don't think it ever happened because it's really hard to get deprogrammed. It's like getting deprogrammed after you found out that sex is good. <laughs> yeah, there's no such thing as deprogramming. Exactly. Try as they might. That's right. The sky is actually gray. It's not blue. <laughs> wow. How about That's that? Such a weird thing to see yourself on a, a list of cults. I'm sure the Grateful yeah. Dead was on well, a list of cults at some point. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, I mean, you know, I I, I have a, a one beautiful memory of, of the Grateful Dead, which one year my daughter, who was, I guess, late teenage, said, Dad, for your birthday, I'm going to take you to a concert at Shoreline of the Dead. And I thought, wow, my daughter, how cool. Yeah, <laughs> so that's fantastic. sitting on the grass. And within about 10 minutes, people have offered us drugs, which was really very sweet. <laughs> and at some point, the, 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 what I remember is um, I wanted to dance and she wanted to dance. But there was this like, do I do this kind of dancing in front of my daughter? And then my daughter is thinking the same thing. Do I do this kind of thing in front of my old man? So there was this wonderful moment where we were, you know, we each had our, our own dead. And yeah. they didn't quite overlap. Um, <laughs> and it was a wonderful afternoon. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> See, that's great, man. That's just dissolving ego right there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is one of my friends who was a, a serious dead follower had, had and, and always turned on at concerts. What he said, he said it was the only place where I ever experienced that group mind. And I remember, you know, you talked about it when Paul was on a little bit, but it was a particular phenomena. And it's true of, of a really good concert where not only everyone is with you, you on the stage, but everyone is with everyone in a way that you don't experience anywhere else. And that was particularly true, of course, with dead concerts, because a higher percentage of people were higher on all kinds of things. So the group mind had a little, a little edge to start. But it's, it's, it is one of the reasons, of course, you know, we go to concerts. Yeah, the only thing I've found... Uh that's analogous to it is black church and a lot because yeah. of that, uh, you know, yes, the musicians are on stage, but the audience is completely <clears throat> included in that. So yeah. there's a total blurring and there's the whole feedback between the audience and you can't even call them performers because they're not up there entertaining. You know, they're trying to call down they're the spirit challenged. and that, yeah. And when that group mind yeah. happens, it's uh, it's really intense, man, and uh, so I've I, it's fun to have that and the improvisation part, you know, like at a dead concert with that many people, you know, it's just like wow, <laughs> it's a huge, uh, it's a lot of energy to be connected like that, you know, it's great. Well, I just realized we we blew a really interesting opportunity in the sixties. Um, there was a time when we surrounded the Pentagon. And we were going to lift it. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. 
That's right. <laughs> um, but had we had a dead concert while we were doing it, might have done it. <laughs> <laughs> or or just retune the people inside. That's right. That's, that's, that's you right. Got it. Because that's all it is to me. It's like a, it's like the radio, the old radios where you had to get the dial just right to dial into the station. It wasn't digital. You'd be like, oh, I went too far this way. Oh, the dial wasn't very good. But that's how I look at, you know, everything. (laughs) That's a super interesting. Yeah, we've talked about that frequency before. And I I think about one of the, I have an uncle who's no longer with us and he was in the Navy and he brought back a, uh, one of those ham radios that had the five or six different bands and then another yep. dial that was massive. And you just, that high pitched frequency in between channels that was different than your car radio when you're just, you know, going at the channels that are near you geographically, but the ones that were reaching other countries. And I remember on holidays, I would sit at his house and play with it and we would listen to Christmas in London and we would hear, you know, gospel, like church, um, you know, choirs singing in Italy and all of these different. And it was just so wild to me to think about how this little machine that's plugged into the wall can hear and connect us to people all around the world. Yeah. See, what blows my mind about, uh, I'm like, we talk, we call this uh, tuning into the frequency of love, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Empathy or whatever. And I'm so like, so why does... Psilocybin do that. Why does it make you more attuned to it's like it has a spiritual quality about it. Yep. But it's a fungus. So it's like it has an intelligence almost and a spiritual life or it's a, it's really kind of mind-blowing to think about. Well, one of the things that distinguishes LSD and psilocybin or is people definitely talk about the spirit of the mushroom. Now, with ayahuasca, they're even clearer. It's mama ayahuasca or grandmother ayahuasca, because ayahuasca, like, talks to you and says, you know what you're doing? you got to go down to the gym more, and you got to eat differently. I mean, it really nags. <laughs> Psilocybin is more, you know, welcome back to the, to the frequency of love. And LSD doesn't have its own its spirit. It's not, you know, in a sense, it's all your responsibility. You can still tune in to the love channel. But um, you have to do a little more work, and and mm. um, and that's obviously my trip. So no, but it's have- funny because when I was younger, I preferred uh, blotter, but that was because uh, it was easier for me to control the dosage. So I'm finding yeah. out now that I like to do about 50 mics. I had no idea what micrograms was, what, 17, and I couldn't prove what even the blot or anything, but it seemed to be more consistent. Like if I cut it in half, I'd be right there. With mushrooms, I didn't know. I have a very sensitive stomach. So I didn't want to mess with, I didn't want to throw up when I started coming on, you know. Right, right. But so in the early days, I was exclusively, with exception of maybe one or two times, it was exclusively um, blotter, acid. And I had great, Maybe I was doing more work. I'm not sure because I was 17, so <laughs> I had the energy for it. I arrived at the same place. But now in my adult years, it's completely the opposite. There's this mushroom extract that I found where you basically take what's like half a kernel of rice. And I can control the dosage and get to that just little bit, not where I'm seeing all kinds of crazy stuff. Exactly. And um, 
I come to think of it, I do feel like I've, there's less work. I don't know if I've work is the right word, but it is a more easier, like it just kind of uh, like brings you to the shore and just drops you off. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the nice thing about also you begin to find your sweet spot. Mm. And yeah. what I what I know in the microdosing world, it's 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 an interesting one for me because the part of me is still a little researchy. Is originally uh, we said um, ten micrograms is a microdose, and point uh, two to point five grams is psilocybin because different mushrooms, different potency. And as the reports came in, people said, you know, man, ten's a little high. Mm. I'm doing eight. I'm doing seven. One out of two out of 100 would say I'm doing 15 or 50. But mostly people, a lot of people said just a little less. And with mushrooms, the same. And so we just moved it about a year ago to 0.1 to 0.4. And I'm now getting a lot of reports, a lot also out of Reddit, which has, by the way, the, the, the microdose sub-edit on Reddit is 140,000 people. So you get a lot of Whoa. information. Yeah, it's <laughs> big. And yeah. I'm now going to go back to our website and move it back down again so that a, a low dose is going to be not a tenth of a gram, but, you know, um, 0.05 to start. Because so many people have said that works best for them. So 0.05. people are beginning to learn to use it at lower and lower doses, which, of course, is the opposite of addiction. <laughs> That's right. You keep Phenomenal dialing point. it lower. That's right. Yeah, you yeah. need to dial it lower. Right? Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with more on Comes a Time. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at Smart Wool. For more than 25 years, Smart Wool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They are here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. Now, when you're looking at, you know, an actual, you know, a cap and a stem and a, you know, there was always this kind of lore of all of the all of the magic was in the the closed cap or the golden part of the stem and all of this, you know, is there truth to, so like if, if you are, if you have a mushroom and you're t basically busting it into micro doses, right. are you going to get that, uh, you know, magic micro dose that one day, or are you going to have a couple of duds and the next? No, basically what people do is you dry it out, you grind it up. So you're mixing stem and cap. Right. And you put it in a capsule and therefore your capsules are probably about the same. Mm -hmm. Now, what's being discovered and uh, Paul mentioned it a little bit is uh, there's the, the the mushroom is what's called the fruiting body. It's really kind of the sex organ of the mushroom. But there's a whole lot of mushroom called the mycelium uh, below ground, way more than there is. You know, it's, it's like there's a lot more apple tree than apples. Yeah. Okay. And what Paul is saying is you can take the mycelium at a particular time and you get basically you get more more out of it than you than 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 the little bit that comes into the mushroom. 
So we're discovering that the whole thing of the mushroom uh, at different parts of its development um, is where psychedelics are. And that's that's actually new. And if you, uh, I use a lot of Paul's products and they they are more and more saying, say lion's mane. And if you look at the label, it says lion's mane mycelium. Doesn't say lion's mane, that cool kind mushrooms. of lion's mane like, like mushroom. Mm-hmm. So we're we're still in discovery, and that's of course the part um, that I like. I I I talk about search, which I like to do, and research, which is proving what you already kind of know, doesn't interest me much. That's that's <laughs> why there are that's why there are graduate students and universities and hospitals who and pharmaceutical companies who will do that. But from my point of view, it's like, you know, it's like when you discover a song that works, you know, a particular sequence for you that works, it, it's, you've got it. You don't need to kind of check it out. Yeah. It's funny because I was, that's exactly what I was thinking about. The way I've appro- approached bass guitar and music is I'm a searcher, you know, <laughs> it's like, I don't, I, I, somebody else has to analyze that after I do it. You know, right. to me, the, the proof or whatever is the song. And then I let them label whatever I did. <laughs> and I'm kind of fascinated well, to see how that turns out. Well, too. Literally, Paul <laughs> was recently made a member of the Explorers Club. He wasn't made a member of the Researchers Club. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Keep the mining helmet on and the magnifying glass in your pocket. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, it's it's so interesting too when you hear about these amazing experiences that you've you know you've touched upon it briefly and I'd love love to hear more but in some of your other talks where you know someone with uh, Crohn's disease or someone with a medical condition that they just cannot find a cure for and then they take yeah. a microdose and literally like an hour later they're not feeling it. Well, um, what you're what you're reminding me of and it's it's. What I like is discovering things which those of us who spent decades only with high doses would never consider. It may it would make no sense at all because obviously psychedelics were predominantly in your brain, which isn't true. Uh, but we can measure parts of your brain, so that's cool. But the one that blew me away, more many blew me away, but this is my favorite because it make, made no sense, is shingles. Shingles mm. are a yeah. something you get in middle age. If you had chicken pox as a child, it turns out the virus said, you know, I'm just going to hole up somewhere hidden in your body for decades. And then I'm going to come out and scare the shit out of you. Mm. And yeah. if you get the symptoms of shingles in a week or two, there's some kind of antibiotic that seems to help. But if you don't, it can get horrible. Okay. okay? So that's shingles. And horrible meaning you can get lesions anywhere in your body, including places which you can't describe on television, okay? Yeah. Right. And what, uh, so I get a note from, um, from Zambia. Now, don't worry. I know in your mind there's a kind of map of Africa and Zambia is somewhere. It's absolutely right. Okay. <laughs> don't worry. You don't have to worry about it. And this is a guy who basically had shingles, didn't, know that there was a, a antibiotic it's now three months later he is suffering he is in such pain 
that he says, there is no position I can be in at night which allows me to sleep. Mm. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he has no psychedelic experience. But he says, I knew someone at the Capitol, and they had these mushrooms, and I took a little bit. And 45 minutes later, I was out of pain. Mm. Okay? Amazing. And I went just what you did. I went, <laughs> what does that have to do with how can a virus from chickenpox be affected by a little bit of a mushroom? Okay. That's why I like it. So I have a colleague, Sophia Korb, and she and I have been collecting all this data for years. And I can hardly wait to contact her. She's in Prague at an international psychedelic conference, kind of representing us. And I get her after a couple of days. And I, I tell her this big story, you know, I'm this, you know, super explorer, Jim, Zambia, Africa. And she says, oh, yeah, shingles. And I think, oh, come on. <laughs> you know, give me a little excitement. Give me a rush. <laughs> We're calling. And she said, you know, it's a funny thing. But at the conference, there were two different women who came up, threw their arms around me and cried and thanked us for our work. Shingles. Wow. Shingles. Is it because it's a nerve thing and that the, it's a neurogenesis it's, it, it part? Affects, it's basically you get you get. I mean, it's much more than a nerve thing. It's a, it's it, it hides in your nerve cells, but it seems yeah. to just, as, as we've learned, viruses sometimes do a lot of strange things to you. Mm. And what what we then looked in our database, and we had a few other people with shingles. Now, see what's fun about that when you do search is you say to the to whoever studies such things, here's an interesting area that you wouldn't have come to on your own. <clears throat> Be our guests. You know, do a paper, get famous, and people now who don't get the antibiotic have a backup. Or if they don't want to have an antibiotic, they can try this first. So that's 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 been the fun of microdosing because microdosing for um, creativity and sharpness and physical improvement and depression that's kind of by now um, pretty much out there. It's it's hard to surprise someone. When you say, do you know? And they say, oh, yeah, you know, uh, my brother told me about it or my mother sent it to me or whatever. <laughs> yeah. The antiviral thing, though, is really fascinating. That's something when uh, uh, Paul Stamets was talking about, it, I was like, wow, this is going to help like with coronavirus. And maybe that's why it helps with shingles too. the viral, the viral part. It of may it. Be, right. Well, then if well. The thing about the immune system is it's, it, it works on whatever it needs to. And it looks like what microdosing does is it, it says to the body, is there something out of line? Is there something that you're kind of twisted about or that the, the order of the way your body's handling it isn't working? And it seems to rebalance it because like, let me give you one from the other end of, the, of, of kind of from a virus to something super within the normal system, which is... Uh, PMS or menstrual upset, either emotional or physical. And again, here was, you know, here's the story, because um, that's the way I work. I get a note from someone that says, hi, Dr. Fadiman. Now, I already know that she's either going to ask me for something or apologize because I'm Dr. Fadiman. <laughs> okay? And so it's, an, it's both. So uh, she apologizes. She says, I know I owed you a report. 
but I thought you might be interested in something that happened during the month I was microdosing. She said, my period was normal. That's the first time in my life it's been normal. Whoa. Okay? Wow. So I write her back. And I don't, I don't say, I don't care about the rest of your report. I only care about this. I don't do that. <laughs> but I do say, um, Mr. Science, um, what, what were you taking? And how much were you taking? And what are you doing every month? And she wrote back and said, I'm not taking anything. I, I microdosed for a month, like you suggested. And my periods are now normal. You have changed my life. Thank you. Wow. Whoa. Whoa. So what do I do? I go to Sophia. <laughs> and she says, yeah, we got about eight people. <laughs> Can't she surprise said, her. She's, a, she's a tough cookie. That actually kind of interested me. So I've already talked to a researcher who researches these things. And uh, she said that um, there's a lot of reasons why people have difficult periods. And the reason why you have these people, they probably have, one or the other conditions, and you have some other people in your sample who it didn't help, they probably have a different condition. And so again, we said, you know, be our guest, do research. Wow. So those kind of discoveries only happen with uh, citizen science. And citizen science is when people tell each other stuff that's useful. And it used to be that was the only science there was. Yeah. Darwin was a citizen scientist. He was just this guy who kind of had enough money to travel and look around and, and, you know, was very observant. We had another professor from Harvard, Avi Loeb, that was a head of the astronomy department. He came to talk about UFOs and stuff. But he touched on oh, that, yeah. like, you know, we shouldn't ivory tower it and cut all these people out because there's so much information out there from citizens Right. observing, you know, their own bodies or stuff without whatever, like, you know, it's all this information that we're losing by like trying to cut everybody out of it and be so elitist, you know? Well, it, it yeah. I mean, it's also um, that scientists in a sense want to protect their profession. Um, nah, I don't have anything that good to say about scientists. Never mind. <laughs> 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 no, no, but, but obviously um, it's like when a meteor falls and if it falls, you know, close enough in the atmosphere and some of it hits the ground, um, you're not going to wait for scientists to go and look in the air. You're going to, uh, the people who live there obviously know the place better than you do. Right. And they say, yeah, but it was behind Jones's barn, I think, you know, let's just look back there. And yeah, there's this burn spot. Oh, in the bottom of a four foot hole, there's a, you know, two inch rock. Um, we're not going <laughs> to wait for the scientists. Scientists actually do research, which is after search is over. And that's fine. That's what they should do. Right. Keeps them, you know, keeps them off the streets. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and also, um, they're, they're genuinely curious, but they're also in a system which, depending on what field you're in, takes longer to get what's called a fact. See, if you're a botanist and you find one specimen of a something out of a snail or a, an orchid and you say i found one biology says that's a new species you get to name it you're a terrific person <laughs> now when you get to pharmacology they say well you have to do three different levels of studies the last one with thousands of people before it counts 
The nice thing about citizen science is a lot of people say, you know, I'm suffering now. My buddy says this might help. I'm going to give it a try. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you have a, a lot of times you have generations. Like we just had a, one of my favorite bassists, Victor Wooten on, and uh, he wrote a book recently and he was talking about something I guess has, they got from their grandparents when they would get a cold or get any kind of throat stuff, congestion, nasal stuff. She would go get some pine needles <laughs> off a tree and basically make this tea make from tea. pine yep. needles. <laughs> yep. He's like, I, you know, I, uh, I took it. It's, we've been doing it. it. Tastes horrible. He goes, "Yep." I felt better afterwards, you know. And that came <laughs> from grandma and great grandma and great great grandma, and you know. Yeah. So that's that's science too, you know. <laughs> well, um, thinking of, of colds, when I was busy discovering microdoses and feeling very impressed with myself for discovering it, um, I talked to a friend who's an anthropologist, and he said he said two things. He said. Did you ever think that maybe the native people around the world tried little doses? <laughs> yeah, yeah that first one. Oh, yeah, they might have done that. <laughs> Man, <laughs> they didn't all just get incredibly high and see the spirits, okay? Because with microdoses, you become a better hunter with a little with a microdose. The other thing he said is, I haven't had a cold in like 17 years because whenever a cold is coming on, I microdose with mushrooms. Really? I haven't followed that one out. Um, it's bad enough when the pharmaceutical people are mad at you, but I don't want NyQuil to be mad at me. <laughs> no. <laughs> do, you feel, do you feel like microdosing on that level of, um, you know, I know that the, there's, you know, you don't want to develop a tolerance. That's why you take a break right. and not do it daily. But doing a one day on, two day off, one day on for, can you just do that? for until you run out and then get more and keep going like is forever? this can you yeah forever or is there like is well, that frowned um, upon like the you know the, the answer is then i'll just tell you kind of the general <clears throat> what the citizen sciences have come up with okay so we're talking um our sample by the way is from 51 countries okay, okay? but but the other sample is this great micro this uh the reddit people um <laughs> And they and what's generally agreed on is that if you microdose, you should take some time off now and then. Say if you microdose for two months, you should take two weeks off. If you microdose for three months, maybe you should take a month off. Now, this is what they think is makes the best sense. Um, so I merely pass it on because anything that sounds like it's safer and easier and less, I go for. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the reason that the protocol uh, that you were on one day on two days off is that's clearly less than say taking it every day. Right. It's just less. Right. Now it turns out taking it every day, which is used by among other groups, the microdose Institute in the Netherlands, they work with, I don't know, a thousand, 1200 people. Um, they do that every day for most people, but they also do coaching. And that's the, the new generation of microdosing is, if you're serious, microdosing plus life coaching. It isn't coaching on how to take the microdose. That's pretty easy. But it's what do you do? You know, what are you taking it for? What's your intention? Your intention, for example, among others, was to not be 
um, crippled either with anxiety or anti-anxiety medication. Right. Okay. Other people uh, want to give up alcohol. Other people are, are working with um, with the fact that they're they're not doing well in school or that they're mean to their kids. So there's a lot of reasons. And, and what's I'm seeing both um, both Microdose Institute and flow state micro groups that do coaching. And that looks like a very sensible model uh, to add to add somebody supporting whatever direction you've chosen to move. And the nice thing about microdosing, it looks like it's low enough in kind of intensity that you can pretty much direct it in the ways you want. I mean, that's, that's magic when it comes yeah. to taking some, like you don't, you don't tell an antidepressant <laughs> which way you want to go. <laughs> it kind of just, it just, you know, you take it and it starts sanding the edges and just making things a little bit more palpable <laughs> for the day. You know, when you talk about some of these, you know, whether it's life coaching or whether it's, uh, you know, being involved with research and all of that, one of the beauties of the internet is also one of the dangers. You really don't know what's legitimate and what isn't. If right. someone wants to get involved in maybe becoming part of a trial or, you know, helping <clears throat> with research, do you personally recommend any resource that is viable? Well, the, the government actually has a list of all trials that they approve of. And that list has gotten bigger and bigger because institutions are now in a, a little bit of a game, which is who's the next institution to get their own psychedelic research center? Mm. <laughs> so Tim Ferriss and some other yeah. donors, but Tim mainly got people to uh, set up Hopkins as Mm -hmm. because they were doing the most and the best work. So they now have their own center. Well, then, um, you know, um, Columbia wanted a center. And now Stanford is looking at it. And, and the other side of that um, is that all these companies that are coming on board are taking the money that they're either that they're raising by going on to the markets and they're saying, well, the only way we can be in business is to do research. So they're going to schools and saying, um, would you be interested in doing psychedelic research? And the usual answer is no, Nixon, bad, 60s. And then they say, we're going to pay you to do the research. They say, well, I actually have been somewhat interested in that research <laughs> at some point. And then they I know say, I meant absolutely graduate student who we had shunted, you know, we kind of hadn't talked to him for a while, but actually he's going to lead the research because he's actually a specialist in this area. And there is a listserv and it has way over a thousand people and it's a graduate student listserv and it has graduate students from dozens of areas and they help each other find research jobs, um, find obscure references. They have meetups. They have a whole little world of helping each other get into this new career of psychedelic researcher that you can tell your parents about. <laughs> I, I've got an idea for them. Why don't they take all the people that they put in jail for psychedelics and for weed and free them, and then they get paid to be part of the experiments to help them get over the PTSD of being yeah. in jail for no friggin' good reason for however many years. You know what I mean? First in line, 
It just I always get so mad. I'm, I'm so happy that this nightmare is coming oh. to an end. And then it's yeah. right behind my happiness is this extreme anger for the people that are still in jail. You know, it just, it's, you well, know, it could have been I'll, me. I'll, it could have been me. I'll give you one curious thing. They have done some research on people in jail and they divide them into two groups. People who have had psychedelic experiences and people who haven't. And the people in jail who had psychedelic experiences are healthier than the ones who haven't. And they've also done that for the general population. One of those things where, you know, 400,000 people in each group because you're using the U.S. government's data and people who have used psychedelics once or more seriously in their lifetime show up as healthier in all kinds of ways than people who haven't. So um, so doesn't so that the, mean that the American Medical Association and the yeah. Psychiatric Association are friggin' liars all this time? No, no, they're not liars. They're <laughs> don't, you know, but, so don't confuse. Whoever did the propaganda. Remember, the, the yeah. U.S. government for 40 years put out a version of reality. Mm. OK. Yeah. And in order to get into the, you know, into the game, you had to be part of that reality. And then, yeah. I mean, here's the curious one. There's a wonderful quote from, I think, um, from one of Nixon's lieutenants who said about the drug war, it was never about the drugs. Ehrlichman. Which is John from the beginning, the drug war was Nixon's way yeah. of being able to attack the anti-war people who he hated, the, the ecology people, the social justice people, get them all because they were all using psychedelics, okay? Now, here's the part that's weird, which is we kind of knew that. But then there was a generation of people in college and university and medical schools who bought the government line because that was the only line out there, that it wasn't just a political trick of Nixon's, that actually these were dangerous, scary, blah, 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 drugs. So that's those people now are still in the AMA. And uh, I was watching uh, something in Australia. Australia just, the government just said, okay, we're in. We're going to put 15 million bucks into psychedelic research. Now, the U.S. government has not done that. The Canadian mm -hmm. government has not done that. But Australia says we're going to do that. Except it has to go through this one committee. and so. A couple of really prominent um, political figures, one was the former head of the Defense Department, said, that's terrific, let's go. Then I listened to the chief psychiatrist in that, that group, and it was clear he'd never touched a psychedelic, he had no idea what he was talking about. And he said, well, he's not sure about that. This is a dangerous drug, and we don't want to just have one more drug available, as if Psychedelics weren't available. Okay? <laughs> it's like, it's and like as if they didn't put a vision, you know, saying, I think we should stop people from drinking. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so, uh, so there's, there's, a, there's a phrase in the physics world about uh, that one of the great Nobel Prize, I think it was Max Planck, said, My theory will be accepted one funeral at a time. Uh, so as his colleagues passed on, the next generation were very open. And so when I look at this graduate student list, these are these are really amazing people. Um, and these are, you know, postgraduate MDs. I mean, this isn't like first year graduate students. These are people with serious 
profound skills and careers. And they're saying, I'm going to apply what I know about microbiology, about genetic engineering to psychedelics. So uh, things are changing. It's one of the reasons that these companies, in a sense, can get off the ground because there's this great number of people who want to work for them uh, just to get into those labs to do that research. It's like a gold rush now. It absolutely oh, it is. is. It is. Yeah. The, 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 uh, the number of companies that are appearing on the psychedelic, uh, it's now called the psychedelic space. That's a term from the hedge fund world. Yeah, uh, it a is. Yeah. Ago, <laughs> yeah. A couple of years ago, someone called me and said, um, do you know of any good opportunities in the psychedelic space? And I thought, I have no idea. <laughs> no idea what he was talking about. And then it was, I found out, oh, this was to invest in a company that was going to yeah. make psychedelics. It's like pre-stock thought, market given, talk. Given that they're way illegal, it's going to be really hard just to do the sale. <laughs> yeah. But, but here we are, and there are companies every day uh, springing up, and I, I use the term very, very carefully, like mushrooms, <laughs> uh, promising to, to end various conditions, and some of them are probably right. You know what I, you know what I'm always fascinated by, and it's, and it's this thing of kind of, you know, observing aging, and observing people who took psychedelics and embraced psychedelics. We just had a conversation with Ken Babs, one of the original <laughs> oh yes Mary i know Pranks. Ken. yes now that's a guy who i mean he was cracking he, he he's he's got more energy I, I talk to him regularly he's outside gardening he's outside like he's vibrant yeah. he's youthful he's strong um you know the guys in the dead uh a lot of folks who grew up on psychedelics and kind of figured out a way to keep their ego in check for you know in in the bad way and then right. you look at the other side of the coin where there are so many people botoxing and plastic surgerizing themselves out of, you know, this myth in their mind that I'm never going to get old. I'm never going to. There's something beautiful that psychedelics, I think, has brought to aging in the sense that, yeah, death is going to happen and that's fine. And I'm kind of gracefully going in, in, you know, into the next phase. Well, uh, since I'm in the next phase. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't talking about you. You're doing, you know, know you look. I know, but I, I, I'm aware of that. There is a, um, if you're not identified with your ego, its vanity is of less interest. Okay. Yeah. And I think we, we all, maybe at almost any age, you can look in the mirror and you think, who's that? <laughs> and I look in the mirror and there's this old guy <laughs> and I think, wow, where did he come from? And then because inside there's not an old guy. Okay. There might be hiding out there somewhere. And some mornings I will wake up and I think, Whoa, this is what it's like to be my age. Whoa. <laughs> I don't go for that. <laughs> uh, so there's Babs out there at I think 84 and he's gardening. Now he was always in great physical shape. Yeah. Okay, he was, I think, a green beret to start. So he didn't start from a you know a slouch position. Um, <laughs> right. Those of us who have PhDs uh, did a lot more sitting when he was out there walking around. <laughs> but but there is something that's happening in this older generation that's worth looking at. Um, I just got a note from someone who's doing a book. I think it's called "Confession of Psychedelic Elders." 
Oh, wow. Ooh, I want that. That sounds way. fantastic. I thought, yeah. What was grandma <laughs> doing? Yeah. And I, well, I thought, well, he was asking, did I want to be in the book? And I thought, I don't want to confess. <laughs> to be yeah. an elder. That's it. Well, partly I don't want to confess because I've been, I haven't had, you know, I mean, Babs has done really scary, dangerous things. Okay. I've, I've really had it pretty gentle. I mean, I, I don't have a lot to confess that would, you know, use up pages. But, but it was the notion that, that psychedelic elders are this, you know, this, this, this group. And I think it's more that we, when we started it, and the question was, how have you survived all these years? Is one of the things about psychedelic elders is we've all had our 40 years in the desert ah, where people indeed, mm-hmm. you know, where you Literally. were, you know, where I was a member of a cult and you could, you know, de- deprogram the people I'd help. <laughs> and, and, you know, and the, my parents at one point said, would you see a friend of ours who's a psychoanalyst? And I said, why? And they said, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, okay, I get it. Um, I'm so happy and well adjusted. Yeah. 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 Because you and I had a good time. Well, even thing, I mean, if we think about aging, like someone who, you know, gracefully on the inside, while his body kind of uh, failed him, look at Ramdas. I mean, there's someone who was stricken to a chair. And I mean, in any video of him, just even being able to like be in the water. You could see the joy. Like he, he, it was like a child trapped, you know, inside of him that he wasn't afraid to let out. If you want a serious book about going past psychedelics, Ramdas's memoir, being Ramdas, we just is we just it. read it. We just read it. I <laughs> yeah. listened to it it's actually heavy. on audio. But it's yeah. beautiful. And, really, and, yeah. and the thing I I got, which was a surprise, because here is the guy who turned me on with psychedelics, and he says, "Man, psychedelics, I'm past that." Okay, or almost past it. Okay, yeah. he trips a little now and then. But what I got is, and and this is awkward uh this is in my confessions part of the book i guess which is it looked to me like ramdas and tim who i also was friends with uh, really didn't know how to use psychedelics mm. they use them way too much way too often way too casually and they didn't exactly get tolerance but they got less and less benefit and so when ramdas was saying i'm going to give up psychedelics to be in the love of my guru um, he wasn't given up very much. And it, it suddenly made clear to me where that break came, because obviously I haven't made that break. But I also um, have used psychedelics really, you know, compared to someone like Ram Dass, like not at all. And I was on a national radio show and someone said, well, how often do you drop? And I thought, this is an awkward moment, because if I tell the truth, I lose my youth audience. (laughs) And if I don't tell the truth, then I've just lied. And that's like really an awkward place. So I, you know, I did one of those, you know, like politicians know how to do. You slide around, you answer some other question. Yeah, we'll circle back to that. (laughs) Well, you know, whenever I hear accounts of what they were doing, my mind is blown. I'm like, 400 mics? Like, what about yeah. 600 like what are you nuts what, the, like, the first whoa. time the first time he did LSD when it was in a, a jar of uh the, like mayonnaise. a white yeah a, yeah. a, a mayonnaise, mayonnaise jar. jar and they were just taking spoonfuls yeah i mean yeah. oh my god yeah well <laughs> i've never like i've tripped probably 70 times i've never had well, anything oh my goodness 
Well, but that's, of course, then Kesey with a Kool-Aid acid test, which is you just took a, you know, a glass. Yeah. Um, but, but Kesey was very clear. Is Ram Dass and Tim even more always said, set and setting, careful, pay attention. Um, they were a little wild, but basically they were always saying that. Kesey was very clear that it's your problem. You want we're to take too for much, it. it's your problem. Yeah. Uh, don't come to me. And so he was, in a sense, um, he, he doesn't get enough credit for what brought down the 60s. And Tim gets too much credit for what brought down the 60s. Yeah. 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 I just was always scared and, and not in a bad, I don't know, maybe scared's not the right word. Because you don't want to take fear into your trip. So I knew that. Like, don't get paranoid, <laughs> you yep. know, as yep. your, your runway to your trip. But it's maybe respect. I just had a deep, like, you're messing with your brain chemistry. I want to ease my way in. I want to, like, uh, the uh, heat. If I'm going to turn up the heat, I'm going to go five degrees at a time. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to just, like, go to 100 and be like, oh, boy, <laughs> it's so hot all of a sudden. Yeah, I just couldn't. Well, anyone who's had anyone who's had an had, has had an accidental, uh, yeah. you know, puddling, uh, <laughs> which we all have. It's a scary, oh. scary experience when when the world that you thought you yeah. knew just turns out to be a, a you know, like a puppet show and people <laughs> that you have known yeah, your whole right. life and don't have a face right. anymore. And yeah, it's a terrifying yeah. experience. But the movie. image I have is going into a casino on, I think, New Year's Day from Death Valley. Oh and you look over this casino and all I saw was skeletons at all the tables playing. Wow. That's the right? thinnest that they've ever looked. You just saw people. the truth. <laughs> <laughs> skeletons in jazzies with a, a pack of Newports yeah. in, their, in their cool 100s. <laughs> it's like, wow, did I make it into a Grateful Dead video? <laughs> right. There's Touch Bob Weir with a duck. Yeah, totally. Right. Wish you guys could have seen it. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, it's so incredible to chat with you. We really do enjoy uh, – this opportunity and we would love to have you back anytime. We promise we won't ask you numbers on how many times you did things. <laughs> okay. Well, well, actually, actually, you know, there's a whole nother topic, which will, which is not as well known to you guys, but I have a whole new book out, which I've got 25 years into called, which is called your symphony of selves. Mm. And it's about the internal selves you have and how to make that, how to make that both visible and healthy. But that's another topic. We can Ooh, stay we, on drugs for this one. I mean, uh, we got to do that one. I know, absolutely. Great. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't, I didn't mean to jump to, I mean, we can always edit. I, I didn't know if you have time, if, I don't know, Oteal or. No, I have time. Actually, I have to go because I'm oh, dealing with kid pockets. Okay, so let's, right you know, now, let's, but, let's. But we would like to have you back for sure. Please. Okay, could, could actually, it's better show. to have me back because otherwise, you know, there's something called overeating. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jim, this has been incredible, and we we can't wait to to have you back if you if you'd like to you know come back and join us again. Thank you very much. Bless Thank you, man. everybody, for listening. See you next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 